0: This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello soccer fans in South Florida and beyond. Welcome to our show.
1: We have
2: on the episode today, Nelson Vargas, head coach of Miami FC. We became more of a team during this break with the Zoom sessions, going over the methodology, our game model. Also, we have Sebastian Velazquez, brand new in the engine house in the midfield. There's a belief through the players, through the coaching
3: staff, that once we step on the field again, we can put a very good performance. And I think we can go do that in Atlanta.
1: We'll find out on Wednesday of next week.
0: I'm joined tonight by Lee fans. Lee, how you doing, buddy?
1: I am good. It's good to be back and watching a lot of NWSL. I've been filling in my time with that and patiently waiting for this uh, Miami FC restart. Counting down the days, ticking off the calendar.
0: Yes, absolutely. Omar Mubayad also with us. Omar, how you doing, buddy?
4: Slowly like enter Miami's journey through MLS so far.
0: Yeah, so that, there will be a time and a place to bring that up. But we do want to bring the center focus today to what Lee mentioned, the Miami FC. As with every soccer team in the world, uh, they have had to adapt to a new reality, obviously. And so much so that their expected start date had to be moved back. And so, again, doing this tap dance of figuring out when you're going to take the field is quite a challenge for the players and the managerial staff. And we're going to dive into a little bit of that tonight, Lee, if you want to fill us in a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously uh, with the USL, we have the situation where they've split the teams up. There's a lot of teams in the USL Championship, split the teams up in their little pods. And we are in, I think it's, it's Group H or Group G.
0: For the record, Lee, it is Group
1: H. But we are in a group with Atlanta United 2, the good old Tampa Bay Rowdies, Charleston Battery, a group of four. And then we also have a couple of additional games, one against uh, Charlotte Independence um, coming up that was actually moved. And uh, we have an interesting looking game against um, Birmingham Legion, which, correct me if I'm wrong, is the Battle of the Magic Cities.
0: It is indeed the Battle of the Magic Cities. So that will be a hotly anticipated match. Any time any tweet or story of ours gets traction, we get about five people from Birmingham jumping in, <laughs> letting us know that they are actually the Magic City. Uh, not least of which is Joseph Goodman, former South Florida sports writer now in Alabama. A good sport he but yeah it's it's an it's an interesting setup again every league is trying to put together how they think the best way to approach their season is again we've seen that with the mls's back tournament and the sweaty results it has produced poor guys out there 9 a.m central florida you know their shirts are basically melting off usl has adapted to this kind of pod style Uh, that we're also seeing in Major League Baseball, where you do have travel, you do have home and away venues, but you're attempting to limit the amount of teams that are playing each other and limit the amount of travel they have. Everything is strange, obviously. Breaking news, things are weird right now, guys. But especially for the players, you go into a season, especially for soccer, you kicked your season off. You know, Miami FC have a result in the books from this season. They made their USL Championship debut, and then they stopped for four months. And now their whole schedule got reoriented. It's got to be such a weird hill to climb to build up to the beginning of the season and then slam on the brakes and then have to go through that build up again.
4: And God, 2020 has felt like a lifetime. You know, Miami FC, as you mentioned, does have one game in the books. And it was a loss to St. Louis FC, but... I don't even remember the game. I don't recall it anymore. It felt like, you know, it was three years ago at this point. It doesn't feel like it's something that happened four months ago.
0: And I think Miami FC would prefer not to remember it either based on the results. It was a bit of a rough open of the account. But of course, you know, that's to be expected coming up to a different level of play.
1: Yeah, none of us want to remember that game. But it's important to to, to go back and maybe learn some lessons from that. And uh, I put my thinking cap on, as I am wont to do. And I thought, well, The best people to talk to about um, what happened in that game and what will happen in the upcoming games might be the coach of Miami FC and maybe one of the players. So we actually have on the episode today, Nelson Vargas, head coach of Miami FC. And also we have um, Sebastian Velazquez, uh, brand new uh, number 10 playmaker um in the engine house in midfield and um i think it's gonna be interesting to get their perspectives on this
0: yeah i mean there's no better way to go than straight to the source right to figure out what their quarantine or distancing was like how they were able to kind of pass that time what productive things they may have been able to accomplish in that time and now as they're trying to get ramped back up and and especially with the, the the movement of a game How does that affect your psyche? How does it affect knowing that, okay, our our next game may not be your next game? It may be moved to a month from now or a week or whatever it may be. (laughs) Lee has done a real bang up job doing these uh, straight out of South Florida stories where we hear directly from those players here and abroad dealing with these questions. And I think that, you know, as we kind of look up the pyramid now in the United States and look at the USL, you know, big time professional play how are these players adapting to it and adapting to a challenge that the MLS isn't adapting to yet, which is dealing with travel. And how are you planning on playing these away venues with no fans? It's just going to be really interesting to kind of pick their brains and figure out what they're thinking right now.
4: this is much different than really any of the other sports that have returned. There is no kind of warm-up game. There is no exhibition. We're throwing you straight into a fire into a group-style setting that assumingly, will become a knockout tournament at some point. Uh, in October. So, you know, these guys can only compare themselves against, well, themselves at this point and not anybody else. And that first game, almost like any first game in a group stage match, and it becomes so crucial. It does. And
1: playing Atlanta United too, I think uh, playing away as well, the first game is away. That's an important factor as well. And then how it will feel at Ricardo Silver Stadium, empty with no fans. It's going to be an interesting thing. So uh, let's see what Nelson says, shall we? Should we bring him in? Should we get him on the phone? I'll second that motion. Nelson Vargas, head coach, Miami
2: FC. Good to talk to you. First of all, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Lee. Thank you for asking and, and hope everyone's doing well out there. Just anxious to get the season started again for the second time.
1: <laughs> well, you talk about that. We are, we're closer than we've ever been. We've had the one sort of uh, postponement of the game. And uh, now we are looking at uh, Wednesday, July 29th, 7.30 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. Um, for the game against um, Atlanta United 2. How are preparations going for that game?
2: Well, I think the preparation has gone well considering the limitations that we had. Obviously, being in Miami-Dade County, I don't remember exactly the time frame, but I think we're maybe a month or a month and a half behind everyone else in regards to training. It's been difficult, but, you know, we're managing. And part of being, I guess, a coach at the next level is just managing the situations as they come along. So I'm happy with where we are with the team. Obviously, if we would have had some more time, it would be great. I think we started two weeks ago, approximately, was when we finally were able to have contact. So it's, it's, it's been a struggle, but we're looking forward to getting on the road in, in Atlanta and um, get to playing is what, what we want, you know? How does that work, Nelson?
1: First of all, so to, to explain to people who are listening, uh, travel by bus up there,
2: play the game, get straight back in the bus and come home. Uh, no, well, some that might be the case for Tampa, but for Atlanta, we've elected to fly. So we are flying in the day of the game. So we will fly in, play, and we will head back the next day. Um, The other option, I think, was taking a bus. But going from here to Atlanta, it's 13 hours. So um, it was decided by the club that we would be flying the day of the game.
4: Yeah, 13-hour road trip the day before is not good on the legs, I would assume.
2: No. (laughs) Correct, it's not. So that was the other option was to drive up the day before the game and then drive back after the game. So the decision was made, obviously, to fly, which we thought was, at least from a recovery standpoint, would be a lot more beneficial to players. You know, um, doing 26 total hours back to back and a game in a professional game definitely can take your toll on you. So uh, luckily, um, I'm actually happy that we get to fly.
4: So, Coach, when we're looking at the restarting the season now, this is a lot different than a standard preseason where you could bring in other local competition and train against somebody else and kind of get a feel of what a game will be like. How have you tried to mimic that inside the the trainings that you've had at FIU so far?
2: It's been difficult. I'm not going to lie to you. We haven't been able to have a scrimmage game. Today was the first time we were able to play 11 v. 11. So imagine that. You know, it's our first 11 v. 11 match, inner squad game. It's been difficult. I would be lying to you if I would say it hasn't been frustrating, but there's no time to be frustrated. We have to kind of adjust and deal with the situation we have at hand. Um, look, we're lucky we'll get to our jobs entail professional football. There's a lot of people out there in the real world that are struggling. Um, I personally been affected by it. I know close friends um, who have lost loved ones. So I would be uh, – it would be – it's just not right for me to make any complaints considering what the state of the world is right now. We're just lucky to be on the field, and we'll just have to adjust and do the best we can. We're no
1: strangers to adversity, really, are we, um, Nelson? I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a terrible situation off the field. But, you know, we, we've been through this thing where we were in the NASL. We had to drop down to the NPSL. Then we jumped to NISA, and now, we've, now we're in the USL. That moving around, was that – I have to ask this question, otherwise I'm not doing my job as a fan or a soccer blogger. Was that reflected a little bit in the before one loss to St. Louis? Was it is it difficult jumping around these leagues that you don't you can't prepare to play someone at
2: the USL Championship level? It's difficult, definitely, in the sense of competition. Um, I think it's no disrespect to the other leagues, but obviously USL is a much higher level than what we have been playing in the last year and a half um, with the NPSL. I wasn't part of the Miami FC during the NASL days, but. You know, you get some positive reviews and then some not-so-positive reviews in regards to the NSL, the speed of play, and maybe some of the players that were playing that were in the latter stages of their career. The USL is very competitive. Um, It's a lot of young guys, hungry guys. It's difficult. Every game, especially in the the Eastern Conference, it's a grind. From all the research that I've done, obviously, this is my first year in the USL and my first year as a head coach. But from from my conversations with all the coaches that I know in the league and players that I've played and the resources that I have at, at my disposal, I, I, we were aware that was going to be difficult. And for our players, it, you know, bringing almost – we had the core of the team there, but the other half was brand-new players. So it, it took a little bit of adjustment. I think we are in a much better place today, even with all the limitations that we've had with training and so forth due to COVID, than we were for the first game. But like anything, um, it takes time, you know, in, in instilling a new methodology, uh, our game model. Um, to players and in making sure that they are cognizant of what they're supposed to do and understanding each other. The the preseason also, I think it wasn't to the last week or two of the season, maybe three, if I remember correctly, because it seemed like it's been ages yeah. of everybody in town either, you know, to have a proper preseason. Because some of the players we signed were were late because we were going. Remember, we signed guys considering that we were going to be in the NISA league and we went to the USL. Um, some things changed obviously, so we were able to sign other players. So just getting them, everyone in town together and training, we didn't really have the necessary preparation that we should. Now, that's not an excuse. At the end of the day, we're all professionals and we need to perform. But it's definitely a contributing factor to, I would say, to that result in our first game. The flip side of that, Nelson, is having
1: dealt with all this adversity and hopped around, does that now give us a little bit of edge going into this sort of like group phase, you know, set up in the bubble? Because maybe – the other teams now, they're the ones who have to step out of their comfort zone. And the players and you, you're like, we've seen this before. Okay, the situation has changed. We're kind of used to it. Gives us a little
2: bit of an advantage, no? You would think so. But at the end of the day, I think I, I don't remember who it said. I had a coach going through all the youth systems with the U.S. soccer and, and various professional experiences. At the end of the day, it's 11 players and everyone ties their shoes the same way. Um, maybe... Maybe one or two have names on their shoes, but um, I think it was Timo Ljokowski that made that comment, actually, to the 1994 U.S. World Cup team before they played Brazil um, when they lost 1-0. And the only reason I know that, because Eric Ronaldo who's a very good friend of mine, tells me that story. Like, Timo comes in and his pep, pep talk was like, boys, you know, we, they, they do this and they do that. And remember, at the end of the day, when they put on their boots, they tie them the same way we do. So, um, yeah, it, you would think it would be the case, but look... Um, these are all professionals. Even if it's the USL, guys want to go out, they want to perform. They're looking for that next contract, the next opportunity. Um, it's, it's, it would still be difficult. Now for us, I think, well, we'll find out on Wednesday of next week. I think the break helped us in the sense of gave us more time to work with one another and getting guys on the same page, even with all the restrictions we became more of a team during this break with the zoom sessions we were doing, Zoom sections for weeks on end, just going over the methodology, our game model, you know, and through our, our keynote presentations. And I think that made a big difference. It should have made, well, it will make a big difference when we go into this new season of ours. Do I think we'll be in a slight disadvantage that other teams have played two or three games? Possibly. But um, I guess we could look at it this way, we'll be a lot fresher than they will be from that standpoint. <laughs> and looking at Atlanta United too, they haven't
1: really come out the it's very well here. I mean, they came down to Florida and lost to the, the Rowdies in the first game, and then you know they, they were held by Memphis as well. So uh, you know, sometimes, like you say, having already played, not necessarily an advantage. If the results haven't really gone your way, they're going to be thinking of oh, we've got to host Miami FC now, who on their day one of the best teams in the
2: country. Let's be honest, we are. So it, it, it can go either way. Yeah, you can, but like you know, like anything, you can look at it from two ways. You can also say like, well, okay, we've had two games, and now it's these guys' turn to experience what it really is to play against an Atlanta United team obviously what I would say about them in the games that I've watched they've been competitive in every game a lot of young kids who are hungry they're very athletic and you know at the end of the day you can't teach athleticism when you got guys that can get up and down the pitch that can you know uh, put you or put you in difficult situations and press you then it's anybody's chance to to get a result what I envision is that our experience should come a little bit to the forefront and We'll be, you know, we'll be a little bit nervous as well because it'll be our first game in such a long time. On the road, I'd be lying to you also, if, you know, guys also have the psychological side of everything that's going on. It does affect you to a certain degree, but we feel that when we start playing, hopefully we can set that aside and, and be professional on the day and, and do our job.
0: Coach, you mentioned the psychological aspect for the players. Uh, I wanted to kind of ask about it for, for you in a way. Uh, you know, you're you're a guy with... Deep Miami ties, Coral Park High, playing for the Miami Fusion, coming into coaching with this club. You get the opportunity to step up uh, when Paul Delish becomes uh, team president. And you have this great opportunity, USL leading the team, one game in, boom, everything gets shut down for months. And and what's that like for you? For any coach, this is obviously – the most challenging thing they've ever had to deal with as a manager. What's that like for you who, you know, you, you've had this assistant experience, but you're, you're the main man now dealing with such a change. How did, how did you process that internally and how did you adapt to do what you felt was best for the club?
2: It's the best three words I can use is baptism by fire. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's hard enough. Imagine it's hard enough being a manager in normal conditions. So my first year, you know, when I signed my contract, I was, um, I signed the contract to be a head coach in the Nisa League because that's where I thought we were going to be. In a matter of a month or two, it was like a total whirlwind. I went from being an assistant coach in the NPSL to now being the head coach in the Nisa League to all of a sudden now there's a possibility that we might be in the USL. We get accepted into the USL, head coach in the USL, play our first game on the road against a very good team against St. Louis, have a a very poor negative result, and then we get shut down. So you can imagine the thoughts um, weren't the best. There was a lot of why me moments. Um, you know, it it was difficult. It's been difficult. You know, it's like I, like I said, and like you stated, it's hard enough during normal circumstances. Imagine now it's your first year. Yeah, your first year as a head coach, and then you go through a pandemic, and then your first game it's not the best result that you could expect to have. It's, it's been difficult. It's weighed on me. Um, that's why I'm anxious to get back on the field. But, yeah, it's been difficult. But like anything, you know, As I said, the three famous words, baptism by fire, that which does not kill you makes you stronger. And I think that I'm a better coach today than I am on March 6th or 7th, whenever it was that we played that game in St. Louis. Um, So you learn from your experiences. I always reference some of the best coaches. One of my idols as a coach is Jose Mourinho. Um, I'm also half Portuguese and Colombian. Um, You know, Jose Mourinho was a translator, became an assistant went on to be a head coach. I think his first job, if I'm not mistaken, was at Benfica. He struggled, was actually fired. Then from there, he went to Maritimo, I think, did well. Then he ends up at Porto, and then he becomes Jose Mourinho, the legend, the special one. So I think it's those those tough moments that kind of start to shape you as a coach. Um, and those are the moments, or that moment I'm using it as a as a springboard or, a, or a sort of a jettison to, to propel me in, in – to become the coach that I want to be. I'm still young as a coach, obviously, and there's, I'm going to make a lot more mistakes than I will correct um, decisions. But that's all part of the growth, and that's how you learn.
0: I, I will ask uh, kind of, I guess, a follow-up on that. But but if you can, obviously, you don't, don't give the game plan out to everybody. But what, what concrete steps did you take between March 7th and now, especially that period when you couldn't meet face-to-face? And you alluded to some of it, the, the Zoom meetings and the things like that. What, what steps did, what, I guess maybe as a suggestion to youth coaches and things like that as, as high schools and these youth programs are still dealing with these separations, what things did you think were most impactful and beneficial to kind of improving team cohesion and getting the team prepared?
2: It was the Zoom meetings by far because, uh, look, I'm, I'm a very straightforward guy. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. One of the mistakes that I made as a, as a young coach, and, and, and I showed myself and I wrote it down in my little famous black book that I have is never to never underestimate what players don't know. I'm going to be 46 in about, what, on August 6th, or was that two weeks? I'll be 46 years old. And the one thing I do remember as a player is that I was very inquisitive. I was very, you know, I always knew that when I played, when I was done, I wanted to be a coach. Um, I always asked questions. I feel like this generation, there's a hesitancy to ask questions. And I think a lot of it comes from maybe think, oh, I don't want people to think, you know, that, that might be a dumb question or I don't know what I, I don't I don't understand what they're trying to explain to me. So I think I take it up upon myself when I would ask questions in regards to, hey, do you guys understand? And everyone's like, yeah, 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 coach. Um, and now it's not I don't ask. I just repeat it over and over again until I, I know until I'm satisfied and I know that now they understand. Um, and the way I run the way I get to that conclusion that they understand is by seeing the actions being done in a training session or in the game-like sessions that we have um, mimicking the game. And once they're performing those actions in the training session, then that's when I know they've understood what I've been trying to teach them. So the zoom helped a lot in that essence. It's um, just going over just PowerPoint, you know, there's only so many times you can go over the same game model. So we literally went over it for two weeks, but my coaching staff, um, Paul Crichton, Chris Penlove and Anthony Hazelwood, we made it very clear that we're going to have all this time off. And they're going to be bored to death. But the one thing that we know is that when we do step back onto the field, there will be no excuse as to not understanding your role and your teammates' role, right? So I always say, you know, don't be the weakest link in a chain. So in order to become a cohesive unit, if I'm the right back, I should know what my center back is supposed to be doing when I have the ball, what my left back, what my nine, my six, my seven, my 11. That's how the best teams in the world play. You look at the Man Cities of the world, and now obviously Liverpool, right? Matthew, I see you probably wearing it. Ugly <laughs> <laughs> shirt. By the way, you know they're going to Nike now, right? So I heard that Nike was nice enough to allow New Balance to continue the rest of the season. Yes, Nike had the had already the contractual rights to Liverpool, if I'm not mistaken.
0: I, I would go into the details of everything that Liverpool have had to do uh, to get through the season. Right. But I'm sure team president Paul Dalglish has gone over this plenty as well.
4: Still an asterisk on the title. Tell Paul there's still an asterisk there.
2: <laughs> you had basically divulged my inside information. So, yes. yes. <laughs> yes uh, lovingly, as we lovingly rec- uh, refer to him, yes, Paul had mentioned, because um, I hadn't brought up the Nike thing, he said, yes, that Nike was nice enough to allow new balance. to say, listen, you guys started the season, finish it off. We kind of want to see you. These were Paul words. I don't know if they were verbatim, but we kind of want to see you guys. We want to see Liverpool lift a trophy with your guys. No balance there. And, yeah. you know, I don't know if that's an urban legend or not, but that came straight from PD's mouth. So I'll take <laughs> that as gospel.
0: I'm sure there was a bit of a payoff somewhere to, uh, you know, resolving the contract. But with all the uh, the Nike shirts with the gold patches, I'm sure they'll sell fine
4: next year. So <laughs> everyone will be happy. Yes. So what's the message to the Miami FC community now that these games are behind closed doors? you know, kind of behind the streaming service here. Again, it's cheap, guys. It's $5 a month. Like, you, you've got it in your back pocket, right? It changes under the couch somewhere. Well, what's the, the rallying cry to get support for this team so that the guys can feel it? Not, you know, not in the game per se, but maybe as, the, as soon as they step off the pitch and they turn on their phones, they know that this city and this town is behind them.
2: Well, you know, it's difficult. Obviously, that's a question that's way above my pay grade because that's, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a lot more, I guess, blue collar in that sense. You know, I'm the guy on the field every day working and trying to handle the soccer side. Um That's more of probably a PD question and so forth. But just letting people know, look, you know, it's just, you know, word of mouth. But it's been difficult because people's priorities have changed. You know, now it's, do people have jobs? Uh, do I have a job to go to? Am I going to get sick? It's difficult. You know, you guys know in Miami right now, things are not, are not good. Every day gets worse. So, how we're getting that message across is difficult. We use social media as much as we can. Obviously we're big on Instagram, Facebook information being sent out, but as to how well we're doing with that in those regards, I wouldn't know because that's not really my department. Um, anytime I have any questions asked to me directly, look, I said, look, we have ESPN plus, the streaming services and so forth where you can watch us. Um, people want to come and watch some training session because some people aren't working, but we're not allowed to have anyone on campus that's not tested and it's not part of the, the actual, I think I I forget what the term is that USL uses, but um, game day logistical team, traveling staff, whatever, only those people are allowed into the compound. And even at FIU, then we have the restrictions that we have to deal with FIU, you know, with the mask, making sure even anywhere on campus, we constantly have to have a mask uh, as per Miami day um, um, ordinances. So yeah, uh, we're doing the best we can, but I think Paul would be uh, better suited to answer that question.
1: Um, Talking about the academy, um, Nelson, because obviously the news came out that you're now um, executive director of the academy as well.
2: Uh, What's your philosophy with the academy, and, and why is it so important to this club? It's important because it puts a foothold in the community for us. I think the one thing that Miami's been lacking, and you're speaking to someone that played in the MLS, played for the Miami Fusion, that played in Lockhart Stadium, you know? It just, it was a kind of, I don't know if the word's an oxymoron, or it's not a conundrum, more of an oxymoron, like Miami Fusion, but plays in Broward County. Hmm. Um, and in the early, in the first couple of games, if I recall, obviously it was 90, 96, 98 was the first year of the fusion. I was there from 98 to 2000. So I played three years in Miami. The first three, four games, I think our attendance was 15, 20,000 people, something like that. If I remember correctly, we had a very good crowd, but like anything in Miami, there's so many things to do. You have to deal with the weather challenges. Um, a lot of our fans were coming down from Miami. You know, it's a 90 minute trip round trip without traffic. Um, some of the results weren't good at the beginning due to the fact, obviously being a, a new franchise, um, it was difficult. So, but now, you know, now that we're back here again, obviously Miami C before in the NSL days, and now that we're back in town, it's just trying to put a foothold and let people know, which is, you know, factual is that we're the only true My, uh, professional soccer team in Miami. And, how do we you know, in, involve the community and, and, and get them to, to wanna come and see our product? Well, uh, part, part of that starts with our youth club. So a lot of the things that we do with the first team, will start filtering down to the youth club. I'm involved now, um, as Lee stated, uh, the rest of our staff, Paul Crichton, who's our goalkeeper coach and first team assistant, uh, Chris Spenlove, who's also one of our assistants and Anthony Hazelwood, which is our sports science coach. We'll all be involved in the academy and just bringing the methodology, the way we train, our game model, everything down to the the youth club and trying to start a new fan base for this team that we have now playing in the USL. Yeah, it is so important. It does
1: start with the kids, I know. And, you know, you, you sort of mentioned it yourself. You know, you started with the game when you were very young and I fell in love with the game at a very, very young age. And that's what we need to do, isn't it, Nelson? We need to get kids around here falling in love with soccer, maybe getting them away from some of the other sports um early on not you I mean some people will gravitate towards american football you know and then basketball and whatnot but there's uh you know soccer players sometimes they fit a different
2: mold don't they yeah i'm sort of a pessimist when it comes to that in the sense that i don't think those are the players or that's not the future of our game in this country you know the kids that are playing basketball and football they're going to play basketball and football there is no you know i grew up in this country i was born here i grew up in miami but i was born in massachusetts and when i lived in massachusetts I didn't really play soccer. I played baseball. It wasn't until I moved to Cali, Colombia, where my father was from. And I got to watch a Deportivo Cali, which was my dad's, you know, uh, boyhood club. And he would take me to the stadium every weekend. And that's when I developed that passion and that understanding of the game. Then we relocate. We come back to the States, go back to Massachusetts. Then we end up in Miami because my father had found work in Miami. We moved to Miami. And even as a kid, as I started to play, there was no real idols for me to look up to. There was no local soccer team. And most of my, my, my early beginnings in the game was through my father and, and his adult team. So by the time I was 12, 13 years old, my father would take me to train with his adult team that he would coach on the weekends. And that was my, that was my soccer school, you know? But what it did teach me was it was a lot of ex-Colombians, Uruguayans, Argentinians, uh, Chileans that played in these adult leagues on the weekends. And it's the 80s. And you can imagine the 80s, there was uh, an influx of money and at 13, 14 years old, I'd be training and playing with adults on a Saturday and Sunday. And some of these games, some of the money that was being paid to the winners on the side bets were, were, were more than that. I would tell you that some guys make playing in the USL. At a very young age, I was exposed <laughs> to these type of environments and just learning how, listen, uh, how this game can change my life. And I say up to this day, you know, a soccer ball has changed my life. Everything I have is whether it's been I got to act in commercials, I've been in a movie. I got to play professionally, got to travel the world, and it was all because of a soccer ball. So I take that very seriously. You know, there's power in in that. Now, the advantage that these kids have nowadays, back to when we were younger, you know, I remember you'd have to wake up on a Sunday and on PBS at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, and it was the Bundesliga game. That was the only game that you could catch uh, on a weekend. Now there's a proliferation, and it's the most frustrating thing ever because I remember I had the – the Maradona video, is was called Maradona, the greatest player in the world. You know, and he was my idol. And I literally would watch that VHS, boys and girls, VHS, look it up. It did exist, it's from the dinosaur.
0: <laughs> Don't
2: worry Nelson, I'm in that same era as well. So <laughs> imagine, I would go to sleep watching that. Maradona, the greatest player in the world. And I would just watch the video and watch the, and that was my, my access to football, you know, or I was reading Soccer America on the weekend, or El Grafico, which is from Argentina. You know, those type of magazines. Now, there's a proliferation. You can literally get on your device and you can watch any game in the world. And what's the most frustrating to me is that from a youth level, having worked in youth for such a long time, and you you look at all our youth teams in the U.S., we've kind of regressed. You know, I've played in the U-17 team and the U-20 team. The U-17 team, we played in the 1991 World Cup in Italy. We lost to Qatar in penalty kicks. The Under-20 World Cup, we lost in quarterfinals to Brazil. And we were getting farther than some of these teams now with, with, IM, with the Bradenton Training Center, with all these millions of dollars being put in. I can tell you on the U-17 team that we made it to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. We were one of the best teams. We won our group. We beat Italy. We beat Argentina. We beat China. We ended up losing to Qatar in the quarterfinals. We went on one, one international trip which was to Venezuela to play in a a big international tournament. Other than that, all we did was the CONCACAF and local games against youth clubs. Now these kids are traveling, going to all these tournaments, and are we really doing a better job than we were 20 years ago or 30 years ago when I was playing on the youth teams? And if you ask me, my answer is no. I I don't see – obviously, you got Christian Pulisic, which is the exception to the rule, but – Christian Pulisic played here until, what, maybe 15, and then he left to Borussia Dortmund, I think? Was he 16 years old or how old is he yeah. when he went? Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. So can we really say if American – I mean, was was our system what was the cradle or the the genesis of Christian Pulisic? I would say no. I think what he did in Borussia Dortmund, obviously he had some tools, but Borussia Dortmund took those tools. They took that knife and they sharpened it, and now he's, he's a deadly weapon. You know, the kid, to me, he will – at this stage, he probably already rates as one, if, one of, if not the best American soccer player ever. I mean, you watch this weekend. If he puts away the easiest – he had the easy chance. He buries that goal. He turns, sides volleys, it smashes it up the upper 90. And 30 seconds or 45 seconds before that, he had a sitter. And, that's a, and then three minutes before that, he comes onto the field and he gets the assist on, I think, Tammy Abraham's goal, right? That got it to yeah. – was it 3-1 or 4-1?
0: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, 4 – wait. 4-2
2: four maybe. 4-2. 4-2. 4-2. So, you know, it's those those things and those elements that create players. So hopefully now having Miami, you've seen Miami, we can be that catalyst for the next Nelson Vargas. And I use myself because not many players came out of this area. And Miami's been a hotbed for very good players. But for some reason, when they got to those certain teams, they never lasted. I I was fortunate. It was a difficult struggle for me because it was constantly having to – being asked to change the way I played. And the only reason why I think I always made it as far as I did was because I was technically gifted. You know, I'm not the biggest guy, I'm five foot six, but my speed of thought was very good. And no matter whatever I lacked in defending, I made up with my, with my speed of thought in my head and, and my attacking prowess. So, But now having my Miami FC in Miami, now kids can say, look, man, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. And our goal as a community asset is to be influential uh, with the Academy and hopefully we can, we can grow it. Our goal is to grow it. And that can be a future fan base for us as well.
4: Lee, when this season's over, we bring Nelson back. We record a four part series. We send it to Chicago and we fix it. We fix it all. We fix world cup qualifying. We fix Olympic qualifying. We fix it all, everything
0: top to bottom. Okay. And then I have two more episodes that I want to put a pin in after that. One is we need an episode about adult league soccer in Miami in the 1980s because that was a delicious appetizer that I feel like there's a thousand hours of stories there. (laughs) Yeah. And the second thing that you alluded to very briefly that I did want to allude to, which I think is maybe the coolest, most interesting thing on your entire resume is that you did acting. Yes. And you were in the game of their lives. Yes. Uh, And so, again, I don't want to dive too deep into that now, but when you share a bill with Gerard Butler and Sir Patrick Stewart... That's something that most uh, managers around the world can't really claim. No. That's a pretty interesting feather in the cap.
2: It, all that is due to, obviously, my relationship with Eric. It was ironic. It was a difficult time in my life. I had a career ending injury. I was rehabbing. I never recovered. He calls me one day. I don't know if you guys know Eric, but Eric is, is a very lovable person. He's one of my dearest friends in this game. If one thing this game has given me is, I mean, he has been a beacon for me. He's been very instrumental in in my life, both in coaching and in acting. And we played together as well. Um, He called me out of the blue one day and said, Nelly, I just got hired to be the soccer coordinator in the movie. Would you be interested? And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? He (laughs) says, I need you to fly to L.A. This was a Friday. Get on a plane. I got you an audition on Monday morning. I'm like, Eric, I've never acted. He goes, don't worry about it. Get here. You do the audition. The writer and director of the movie are David Anspa and Angelo Pizzo, who did Hoosiers and Rudy. Once they meet you, they're going to fall in love with you. I said, okay, whatever you say. I flew out there. It was supposed to be there a week. I stayed there almost a month, hung out with the directors and the writer. We were going to, you know, all these trendy places in L.A. And two three months later, I got a phone call and said I was in the movie. So um, that's pretty much how that worked out. Now, obviously, I got to work with Gerard Butler, Patrick Stewart, Wes Bentley, Uh, John Reese davies Um, John Hartz was also in the film with us. He was on the team, got to work with Gavin Rosso from the group Bush. It was a great experience. It was one that um, that I'll never forget.
0: Yeah, we're going to do an Inside the Actors Studio with you
1: uh,
2: (laughs) after the season, maybe. Who
1: who do you think would be the best actor on the Miami FC roster? Who do you think would make the best actor?
2: I'm not on that roster, but it would be me, by far. Oh, it would be you. (laughs) (laughs) The one with a SAG card. I actually had a SAG card, so I was part of the Screen Actors Guild. And I'm not going to brag, but I was also in two commercials. So I've, I've, I've done my time to earn that card. That's tremendous. Nice. We, we can't do better than that. Let him go. We, we, that's it. Cut
4: it off.
1: <laughs> Nelson, I feel like we should let you go and spend some time with your daughter, but we really
2: appreciate your time. It's daughters. I have three of them. Whatever I did back in, I'm paying it tenfold with three
4: daughters.
2: Go and write some nice things in your black book
1: about Magic City soccer. Lovely, guys. And, um, and I'm sure we'll, have a, we'll, we'll definitely be talking to you again. But um, three points, please, next week, Nelson, against uh, Atlanta United
2: 2. Make my week for me, please. First of all, I want to thank you guys. And once again, I apologize for getting on late. I totally lost track of time. Um, anytime I can be of any service in any way, please reach out to me. Um, I'm grateful for the opportunity and look forward to seeing you guys very soon.
0: That's flattering. We look forward to be able to come together again soon.
2: Take care, Nelson.
0: Thanks, coach.
1: Take care, care, boss.
0: That was great. I never
1: thought. I (laughs) never thought. (laughs) I didn't
0: have any expectations for that at all.
1: The whole time I was panicking. I hope that it keeps recording. (laughs) With us is el mejor futbolista colombiano, Sebastian Velasquez of Miami FC. Um, Sebastian, how have preparations been? for the Atlanta game coming up?
3: It's been great.
1: Uh, we've been, obviously it's been a long time
3: since we've been <laughs> playing soccer. I mean, it's been like four months, I think since the first game. Um, but prior to that, it had it's even like, even another four or five months when, when the USL championship season ends. So it's been a very long time. Uh, the guys are excited. The guys have been working very hard. We've tried to prepare our, ourselves physically as best as we can. Uh, mentally as well, because at the end of the day, it's an unusual season with everything that's been going on with the pandemic. But we're excited. I think we've been waiting for this opportunity because of the first showing that we had against St. Louis. Uh, I don't think it was an imagery of what this team is, is made of and, and, and the players that we have. So I think it, it's, a, it's a great opportunity
1: for us to go and perform and, and show what this Miami FC team is capable of. So you've said it yourself there. What do you think this Miami FC team is capable of this season? How far do you think they can go? I think we have a, we have the potential to do it do very well in the USL. I
3: think we have the potential to, to to win a USL championship. If you look at the roster, you look at the players, you have many players that have experience from all over the world. You have guys that have played in England. You have guys that have played in the MLS. Uh, you have guys that have played professional in their own countries, played for their national teams. And it's a team that, that has been made up Of of very good players and I think it's all about coming together making it click as quick as we can especially now in this in this short season and we have a lot of potential to do a lot of great things this
1: this year. Do you think it helps a little bit Sebastian because you have played in the USL for quite a bit um you know a little bit more maybe to what you're going into than some of the other players who are making that step up who have been with Miami FC in the NPSL NISA era. So does that um experience of yours, you know, did the players ask you a little bit about what they can expect, that sort of thing? Uh I think not so much in the sense of players asking me what to
3: expect in the USL championship. I think these guys, like I've said, there's been so many players that have experiences at MLS level. I think just from the sense of playing in Nisa and NPSL, I think the nature was that Miami FC was was destroying all the teams, was beating every team. They they I think they won the championship as well. So Obviously, that changed the first game back. I think Miami hadn't lost in like three or four years or something. And then the first game in the USL, we got smacked. I think that was a great wake-up call. I think it's better to happen at the beginning of the season. And and that gave us a a stage. It gave us an image of where we were at at that point. And, and and it obviously showed us what we needed to work on. And I think these three or four months has given us time to regroup, revalue ourselves, and kind of just bring our team together to make sure that once we step on the field again, which will be on, on Wednesday, we
1: can put a put a very good performance on the field. Um, like you say, it's been a long time since that first game. I've spent my lunch break today watching Sebastian Velasquez videos, so I know a little bit what to expect. But for the fans out there of Miami FC, what can they expect from you as a player? Where, where do you like to play? What's your style of play? Well, let, let me ask you this. Before we get into
3: that, let me ask you what, do you, what have you seen and what do you see from my football? I love to see what people's thoughts are because, I mean, I can, I can tell you whatever I want, but you're, you're a fan of the team.
1: What did, what did you see? I, I see a crafty number 10 who likes to, love, uh, likes to run with the ball, and the only way that opponents can stop him is to foul him. There's this one clip I saw, and it was you against Las Vegas Lights? And the first minute is you dribbling past defenders the and they're just pulling you back, chopping you down and that sort of thing. So uh, I, I, I see that you like to get on the ball, run with the ball, be creative and find those openings. But you, you know where the goal is as well, don't you, Sebastian? You can weigh in with a few goals too, can't you?
3: Yeah, well, I, I'm glad you said all that. that that's awesome. <laughs> it's also great to see what, what people think and, and how they see football as well. I think that's what's made me different in the USL. There's not many players that can do what I do. And I don't want to sound arrogant, but in football, you always want to find the different players. And I think in USL, myself, and there's only one other player that I can think that can, that does the same type of game, which is open the field up through the middle of the park. You know, when teams are, are are packed in the middle, they sit back, they 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 know how to defend in these blocks. But when you have a player that can get in between those blocks, it makes... It makes defenders make uh, decisions, and that's the last thing defenders want to do, have to make decisions. I've kind of brought my game in that sense. I'm able to dribble the ball. I'm able to run at guys. I'm able to turn on defenders, um, and and I'm able to create for my teammates. And, and like you said, I also have a, an eye for goals. So if you have a, a, an attacking player that can not only put assists, but also score goals, I think it's a pretty big help for the team.
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny because in Miami, it doesn't matter really the level. Um, fans always demand like from players and from teams like attractive attacking football we've seen that with inter miami you know the fans want that attractive attacking football so um is that something that attracted you to this miami fc team because even though it was a lower level they do like to play an attacking kind of like exciting game was that one of the reasons you came here uh yeah so in
3: a sense you speak about miami miami is one of the best cities in the world (laughs) so that I think that's one of the biggest things. I I found as a, a perfect opportunity that once I got off the field I'd be able to enjoy the beach, uh being a very nice area. And then as far as the team and football, I mean, you, like I said, you would see games nine zero, ten zero. I think at one point you guys had to be teams. They play very attractive football. And to be honest, it seems like the the culture here of football is the Liverpool the Liverpool culture. I mean, our GM is a massive fan. Paul Deglish is a massive fan of, of Liverpool. Uh, the guys are, are, some of the staff is from England. So they love that attractive attacking football. And, and as you can see, Liverpool just won the, the Premier League after so long. So um, in mimicking that, I saw myself uh, in a sense, one of those top three positions where I can help in the attack and, and create and, and, and turn people in and around the box.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, Paul Dalglish has been very strong on installing this kind of Miami way of playing. Um, is, it, is it important for the players as well, for, the, for a club to have an identity like that? I mean, is that, is that something that the players will buy into as well?
3: I think it's very important to always have a culture in any club that you play for. I think the culture is what, it's the foundation of the club, of the, of the type of football. Anytime you talk about a club, let's say, for instance, my favorite team, Barcelona Football Club. Anytime you talk about Barcelona, what do you have to announce? Possession. You always hear, oh, they're such a possessive type of team. They're a tiki-taka type of team. So when you have a, a sense of a culture, you're able to uh, uh, identify the type of football that team plays. And I think that's been built here in Miami. There's a sense of a, a certain type of football that, that we want to play. And, and, and so anytime a guy, let's say, like myself, that comes in new, I already kind of know what to expect, and and it, now it just it's just a sense of me adapting to that culture as quick as I can, get it get in
1: in in the tune with my teammates, and then put in the the final product on the field. Yeah, I I think it is important, Sebastian, because I think it's important for players and for fans, because there's winning at all costs, and then there's winning and playing the game the right way. And uh, I'm from Swansea in uh, back home, and when we were in the Premier League, we were known for like. A, a, Playing a Swansea sort of style of play, which was sort of passing and keeping the ball and everything. And when you didn't abandon that, and we ended up getting relegated. But it's sort of nice to stick to that sort of philosophy, isn't it? The players in the team that you're playing alongside now, who is it who um who you like playing with? Like in the center of midfield, is there someone who you feel you particularly gel with? Uh Vinny.
3: Vinny, uh Vincent Bezacoy. Okay. He's from France. I want to say he's left-footed as well or right-footed. I mean the kid can. He's a great midfielder in the sense of the guy can, can get in and around uh, midfielders. He can dribble around midfielders as well. Um, he does it in a, in a more, I would say, technical type of way because I do it in a creative type of way. He does it in a, in a very clean, very smooth on the ball. And so it seems like, coaches mentioned it to me before, you guys, when you guys start knocking it with each other, you guys seem to open up teams. And you guys, and like we play all the time in mini games we would do very well together. So I, I love combining with him, getting the ball with him. Anytime that he's dribbling the ball, I'll make runs for him. Or anytime I'm dribbling the ball, he makes runs for me. And so it seems like in the attack, he's going to be a very important piece for us as well. That's kind of been the link of that, of the one player that I've been like, okay, I, it
1: seems like I have a special
3: connection with this player.
1: I think, and it's, and To be clear, it's never a case of like, you know, you prefer one player or another, but certain players, you know, the style of play, they go together quite well. And- We've had that at Miami AFC before where we've had a midfield duo and one midfielder is a little bit more attacking, one is staying back. And it, it, that's important for the balance of the team. Atlanta, going up there, um, what do you think we can get out of that game?
3: I honestly believe we can get three points. If you ask me, in my personal opinion, I think we have the, the players to do it. I think we have to have a sense of, of swagger because the players that were brought to Miami, they were brought here for a certain reason. I mean, I think. Uh, there's a belief through the players, through the coaching staff, through the organization that we can go to different venues, different cities as an away team and, and go and grab points. Uh, and I think we can go do that in Atlanta. They're going to be a very young team. I think they're, they're a very good team. I've watched them play. You know, young guys, very energetic, uh, go fight for every single ball. I think if we can use our experience that we have and, and kind of take control of the game, then I think at, at a certain point the game will open up and then we have to exploit those, those spaces and, and opportunities to go and, and, and get our goals and then come home with three points.
1: It's, it's interesting. We, we spoke to Nelson Vargas, uh, head coach of Miami FC, and he says that you've only been able to play 11 v 11 um, in, in training and very recently, maybe the last week or so. Is that right? It would be yesterday. It was yesterday. <laughs> to, to be clear, this is recorded on Friday, so it's still about Thursday. I mean... Is it some, is it like riding a bike, Sebastian? You just step out back on the field, the ball gets at your feet, and ping, 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 you start doing it. Or does it take you a few sessions of playing 11 v 11 to get back into it properly?
3: Man, in football, it's like, let's say, technical ability. You never lose that, right? You, you Whatever you can do technically with the ball, as long as it's close to you, as long as no one's defending you, you know what to do. You can do something special with the ball. I think it's a matter of muscle memory when it comes to playing games. because You know what the style of football you want to play, you know, tactically how you want to attack, you know, tactically how you want to defend. But I think the fitness component of football is very important. And if your legs haven't played 11 v 11 for 90 minutes, then once you go into a game and you haven't done it, you're going to be tired at a certain time. I think with, with not being able to play 11 v 11, we put ourselves in a position where injuries could happen. You can get fatigued at a certain time. And then when you get fatigued, you get mentally weak. And then when you get mentally weak, your touch kind of goes away from you. So it's different when you're gone 90 minutes for a couple games, you're fully fit. Then you're able to maintain that, that, that sense of stamina, that sense of, of technical ability at a higher rate uh, of breathing. But once you get tired, man, your body's tired. It doesn't matter what your mind's telling it. You can tell it to keep on going, but your body's not going to react the same way when you're not fit. So I think we've had a little bit of issues in the senses with that, being able to get the field, get the players to be able to come in, especially with the coronavirus. You can't just bring anyone in to, to, to fulfill the spots. So it's kind of given us a different look. But the great thing is that we've been able to train, have intense, very good training sessions, and, and it's been able to prepare us as best as we can under the certain
1: circumstances that we're in. Yeah, I could definitely understand that. But, but, but the players are ready. The players are up for this, right? Because for me, it's, it's like Christmas when you have a Christmas present underneath a tree and it's wrapped and it says clearly on it, do not open until Christmas Day. It's like this game coming up. We haven't seen a game, like I say, for such a long time. This game coming up is like, I can't wait to open this gift of Miami FC versus Atlanta United. But all the players have, have got to be desperate to get on that plane, get to Atlanta, and get on that field and play a competitive game of soccer, right?
3: Oh, that, yeah. In that sense of just the game of Atlanta, that the guys are flying to go. I mean, we've been crushing each other at training. We've been uh, kicking the shit out of each other. <laughs> but we're ready to go and compete actually against someone else that's not our own teammates and, and, and able to actually compete for points. Now, especially after the showing, I mean, I think before, even, before we played St. Louis, we were like number one on the East, number one and number two on the East of, of – Big chance of winning the USL, and then the season hasn't even started. And then we got smacked to four one. And then every, then no one ever talked about Miami FC anymore, which I think is a, an incredible position to be in. It's a great position to be in. Now the stakes are different. We know what we want from ourselves. We know the expectation, the standard that we have put on ourselves now. And I think we've been able to regroup, and, and we're excited to
1: go on Wednesday and, and, and get those three points. We're all excited about it. Um, So enjoying Miami? I mean, obviously, a big Colombian community in Miami. Have you found a few nice uh, Colombian spots to hang out? Love Miami, man. Miami's (laughs) so
3: beautiful. It's incredible. I live in downtown, so I get to see the big buildings around me and all that stuff. I'm right by Bayside, so we've gone and walked on the pier and all that good stuff. Uh, I've gone to a couple of Colombian restaurants. There's a ton of Colombians out here. There's one in particular that I really like on Calle Ocho. It's called uh, La Fonda de Colombia. Very delicious food, tastes just like back at home. I mean, I love it, man. It's so diverse in Miami. Play- people from Cuba, people from Venezuela, people from the Caribbean. You just have every sense of different type of culture here, and, and, and it's amazing when you can literally get out of training, uh, come home to my to my daughter, to my lady, and and and, and take a ride to the beach and, and and just hang out in the sand. It's it's quite relieving. Uh, unfortunately, with the whole coronavirus thing, we had to quarantine. and we've, we've stayed home every single day. We haven't been able to do much. And hopefully the stuff goes by where we can actually enjoy Miami to to, 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 to do all the fun thing that there is to do here.
1: Great. Sebastian, really appreciate your time. Don't want to uh, keep you here too long. It's been a good insight into uh, how the players are ready. Like I say, we've talked to Nelson Vargas and he seems ready. He had a lot to say, in fact. And... Uh, just one thing about Nelson. What's it like working with uh, a Hollywood actor? <laughs>
3: <laughs> man, Nelson is such a great guy, man. He's such an incredible guy. He's Colombian. All about, uh, I learned all the great things about his, his acting career. <laughs> uh, he was a phenomenal player. Uh, he played on the national team. He played with a lot of legends from the national team. And unfortunately, because of an injury, he wasn't able to, to, to fulfill his career to, to the ability he wanted to. He, he's a great coach, man. He's been there on both sides. Well, he he obviously played football at a top level. He was a creative player as well. So it's great to have him lead us. And he's so passionate, great mind of football, so he knows what he's talking about. He gets in the 5v2s with us sometimes, and he's knocking it. He's mag, he, he megged one of our players. I won't say names. No, you have
1: to tell me now, Sebastian. No. You have to tell me.
3: I need my guys focused. I don't want them thinking about this. Oh, okay. He's megged a couple of our guys. So we see what he probably was as a player, the potential that he was as a soccer player. So it gives us even that much more respect for him to know that we're being led by someone that can actually can perform on the field. And I think we owe it to ourselves with everything going on and all the hard work we've been putting in. I think it's very important that we don't wait to the 10th minute to get scored on or something to, to, to wake up, you know? We come out flying from the beginning. We come out with some swagger, with some cojones, how you would say in Miami. <laughs> And, uh, and and go and take every game because this is a short season. You don't have time to lose points. We have to, we have to take every game as if it's a, as if it's a final and, and be in, in, in the first position. That way we get a, a better uh, playoff situation and then, and then go and perform in playoffs.
1: Yeah, the playoffs is the aim. Um, Sebastian, good luck up in Atlanta. Unfortunately, we can't be in a stadium with you when, when we're playing at home in Ricardo Silver Stadium, but we'll be with you there in spirit um and all the best for this season stay fit stay healthy and uh goals goals and wins and then everyone here will be happy yes sir thank you so
3: much thanks for having me on your podcast it's it's awesome to have a communication with you i've seen a lot of your tweets i've seen a lot of your support so we'll be on the field playing for you my man much love thanks again great conversation
0: We do want to thank uh, Sebastian Velasquez for giving up his time uh, to talk to us, and also Nelson Vargas, obviously. Uh, Two really important insights into what the South Florida professional soccer community is dealing with right now. This is one side of the coin, the USL championship side of the coin. And let's take a couple of minutes now to discuss the other side of the professional South Florida coin, uh, and that is Inter-Miami. Disappointing. I think is the, 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 the word that you have to put on the debut. And obviously the first two matches you saw from Inter Miami back in March, I think a well-fought game against LAFC. It was a defeat, but it, in your first game against a really quality squad with a tremendous player who is the difference maker, what are you going to do? And you're on the road. The second match, DC United, giveaway. You should have gotten points in that game. You were in a position to do it in 10 minutes, completely undo it for you. We thought, I think, maybe that was a lesson learned. But what we have seen from the MLS's back tournament uh, is that maybe that was foreshadowing of things to come. Because what we saw from Inter Miami in that tournament in Orlando, I think, was basically like living Groundhog's Day, where every game appeared to be roughly the same, where you had. Some skill and ability coming on to display from time to time. Rodolfo Pizarro, really good, but a back line that will collapse where you have just defensive failures, and through the midfield as well, defensive failures that will undo you. And you have a team, and we, we, I talked about this in the chat, and I think it's really the perfect way to put it. Injured Miami is a math problem. They can't score more than one goal, and they can't stop giving up more than, uh, at least two. And and no matter how it works out, if you can't figure out that math, you're doomed to a really bad start and a really bad season. Right now, they are 0 for 5.
4: I just, you, everybody wants to paint this picture that the glass is half full. And I'm sorry if I'm being pessimistic, but this glass isn't even quarter full. I don't even look at it as half empty. It's worse off than that. Because I think what's happening here is that, yeah, you want to talk about the LAFC game, perfectly fine. Yeah, I get it. Your first ever inaugural game, you know, you're going up against Carlos Vela, I, I get that you're on the road. I understand all of that, but every other game after that has been a disappointment, and it's been disappointment against games that against clubs that you should have gotten points against. You look at the entire MLS's back tournament and you look at the Orlando game, no business dropping points, none just no. bad defending. Bad defending with the holding midfielders, bad defending with the back four, just bad, right. You look at the next game against Philadelphia Union, if I'm not mistaken, you take a 1-0 lead and then give up two more goals. And you're just yep. si- you're sitting there and you're looking at it and you're like, wait a second, again, same story? And against NYCFC, look, I understand. Like, I wrote the article. I get it, right? You're up at 9 a.m. probably for the first time in your life to play a soccer match since you were 10. Completely understood. But th- there's no business dropping points there either. And granted, they had chances on early. And I understand that some fans want to go ahead and look at the officiating. But what's the, what's the common denominator in all of the losses? It's been the back four. It's been the bad defending. It's been the lack of quality in the holding midfield. It's been bad. And everybody wants to say that they're one signing away. They're not one signing away. But you know what? This is kind of the situation that you get yourself into when you have all these lofty ambitions and you have all these high expectations that you're setting off the ground. As one fan told me, and I'll say it until I'm blue in the face, you set out to build an Atlanta and you built an Orlando. Like, congratulations, a team that has not made the MLS playoffs in their four years or five years of existence. That, that's the th- road we're on right now.
1: I, I think I agree with absolutely everything you said, Omar, with the exception of being one signing away. Because I think they might actually be one signing away. And I have to qualify this because I only watched one of the games, but I don't see anyone in there able to pick up their game by the scuff of the neck and drive the team to a draw or a victory. And when you look at the games, like again, I'm looking at two of these games on paper, and one I watched. When you look at the games, they've been undone by quite f- fine margins here because against Orlando, Nani scores 90 plus seven. If he doesn't score that goal, Orlando won into Miami won that breeds a little bit of confidence and starts to get things going. But when you've had the stuffing knocked out of you with that goal in 90 plus seven, that's a hard thing to bounce back from. And then you go into the Philly Union game, you go down early, you get back into the game through Rodolfo Pizarro. And then you just, you you can't kick onto that next level. There's no player who can put a foot on a ball and command the game. And it has has to be a playmaker. It has to be a playmaker who's a last EP. And then, well, the Inter-Miami versus New York City FC game They were a little unlucky, I think, because they were on top. I think they had the better chances, and it was a long ball over the top. And, you know, again, you're talking about playing these games in a bubble, not an ideal situation, um, and they've just been undone by one long ball. It wasn't a great goal. It wasn't a great play. It was just the defence was too high. And, you know, and then again, if you have a player who can control the game, maintain possession, I think they've been unlucky. Um, I don't think there's a, a revolution or a clear out that needs to happen. I, I think there might be one player away, and then the results will come. And then it's funny with football how that snowballs. But yeah, man, to lose to Orlando of all people, two-one with an injury, injury, injury time goal. Yeah. To throw away, to throw away a point against Philly Union. I mean, if they've got that point against Philly Union and got a point against Orlando, they going to that last game against New York City FC. Maybe there's a bit more confidence. They've been unlucky. I think they're quite close. I think they're a lot closer than some people think. But they do need that last DP badly. Beckham should be like on the phone, texting, calling, ringing everyone. <laughs>
4: So where do you put that? So my question is, you know, where do you put that DP then? Do you look for a DP striker? Do you look for, you know, an attacking midfielder to then kind of complement with Pizarro and then put Pizarro on top? Because they've signed Leandro Gonzalez Perez, the former Atlanta United defender. So, okay, we're looking at that as, okay, we're going to solidify the back line. So now you've got another problem. Who are you pairing him with? Because one of the three has to sit on the bench unless you're going to a back five. Roman Torres or Nicolas Segal. One of these two have to sit on the bench. Or LGP has to sit on the bench. You need a left back. Ben Sweat has proven he ain't, he's not cutting it, right? Mikey Ambrose, not cutting it. And then, to me, your best midfielder, you know, aside Pizarro, if you want to label him a midfielder given the way that he's been deployed, is Lee Wynn. He's playing 15 minutes a game. He's playing 15 minutes a game.
1: Pizarro, I think, might be better out on a wing. And that creates a problem because then you've got Morgan, who's uh, the uh, guy Pellegrini? Um, uh, I think Rodolfo Pizarro can roam around a little bit. The, this, this last DP has to be a central midfielder. It has to be a deep-lying playmaker. There's nothing wrong with the forwards from what I've seen. Agudelo has enough about him to score goals if he's given the chance. Uh, it's backed to by Robbie Robinson and Keith Zaveta as well, who I don't understand how he hasn't been given much of a shout. I think you want to sign a sort of player who even if you put me up for an I would score goals. I don't, think, I don't think he needs to be a striker. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't need to be a striker. This whole like, Cavani thing has gone. All this sort of thing has gone. That's fine. It does, it, it, does need to be, it does need to be like a David Silva. It does need to be that technician in the center or midfield.
0: I, I think there's so much focus on... This, this playmaker who's going to slot in and, and fix the offensive tack, which does need to be fixed. And, lean. this is where I, I'm uncertain if the one-player-away philosophy works here because my biggest concern with Inter-Miami is the back line, the, the defensive approach. If they score a goal, they give one up. If they can't score, they give one up, and then they're dead. To me, it has to be fixed from the bat going forward, uh, and, and that may not be the, the signing. If if Perez can come in and slot in and provide stability at the bat, back with Figal, and, 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 and if, if Reyes comes in, whoever it's going to be, then then we can talk about opening up. But for, for me, I, I don't think this is an offense-only uh, issue. I, I think that getting the playmaker in would be great, but I it's – it, Right now they're giving up one or two goals. I feel like if they get the offensive sort out offense sort out but not set at the back and they score three a game, they'll give up four. I think it's as much a mentality issue as it is a you know, the the, the Joe's on the field. As much as the players on the field, I'm concerned about the 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 fortitude at the back preventing calamitous collapses because that's what we're seeing it's not just that they're giving up goals is that they're giving up goals in confounding ways where you, you you're trying to set a, a you know an offside trap and you blow it and you let a guy get one-on-one with your keeper or it's 90 plus seven and we're ping-ponging in the box like those are those are problems those are not just flow of the game you give up a goal it's not that. It's sometimes they're, they're, the, the other team is on top of Inter-Miami for 10, 15, 20 minutes, and they don't give up a goal. Inter-Miami kind of solves some stuff at the front and keeps possession for a bit, and boom, counter goal. I, I think that's a real problem that is not getting as much attention because no one wants to put the DP at the back, and I don't think you should, but that, that problem
4: is still there for me. And I think it's healthy to disagree, but Lee, like, I don't think that you can slot in a Richie Ryan type into this team and it solves the problems, you know what I mean? So, like, you could look harking back to the 2016 Miami FC. Like, you don't put in just a really good playmaker, and it's like, all right, problem solved. Like, you know, we're, now we're going to move forward. It's going to get much better from here. But, I mean, feel free to disagree with me.
1: I mean, I obviously, I can... disagree with both right. of you. <laughs> 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 um, I mean, because, uh, I mean, looking at who's, who's like, in, at, the, at the bottom of that midfield, you've got Will Trapp, who's a fantastic player he does a certain kind of role. And you've got Victor Iowa, who, you know, I don't think he's a long-term solution. I think he's the one who's maybe holding that place over until looking at the, the, the team sheet here, until, until someone turns up to slot in along, alongside Will traff Once you have that player who can put a foot on a ball, man the ball from the back four, to you can the ball from the back four Slow a game down, slow the pace down, get a team off your back. That takes the pressure off the back line. Um, I, don't, I don't see a problem with the personnel in defence. You could argue there's maybe a, a problems with the way the defence is set up. You can, you know, uh, Figal looks like a quality player, but he if you're playing Roman Torres, you need someone who can cover him because, you know, I saw him make one run. And he was gassed, you know, it was, uh, you know he's, not, he's not played in the football yet. These guys haven't played in the football yet. So I, I think it needs to be. It's not, it's not really a Richie Ryan sort of player, Romar. I mean, I'm talking about someone a little bit further forward, someone who can play in the centre of midfield, someone who's got a beautiful range of passing like Richie Ryan, but maybe is a little bit, you know, will wander around the pitch a little bit more. And then Will Trapp is doing the uh, unglamorous work in the centre of midfield. Um, it's, uh, it's the system as well maybe the system isn't working and maybe when a new player comes in you can change that system a bit and you know, it'll give the team a little bit more freedom give Morgan a chance to impress himself um, express himself give um, Pellegrini who I think is a fantastic player has got something about him a chance to uh, express himself and ultimately release Rodolfo Pizarro there's too much focus on Rodolfo Pizarro he needs to drop out of the game go and find a little space almost like a Thomas Mueller or something. And then, you know, find that little gap in between the defense and the midfield, spring up in those little positions, and then you solve the problem for me.
0: Well, I think we've, uh, we've handled it, gentlemen. We've solved the issues. Let's go home. <laughs> um, it, it is going to be interesting to see... It's
1: easy to say. It's easy to sit here and say it, but you know yeah, it's a is. different thing, and it's a different thing to attract that kind of player as well, of the quality needed for sure to, to, to change it in one in one's transfer. It
0: is, and I, I feel like we have uttered this sentence about a thousand times in the last five and a half years. It, it is an unfortunate start for Inter Miami. Um, it is an unfortunate, you know, it's it's not what you want to see coming out of the gate. Oh, oh, and five or o, o, 5 and oh. I have that right. Uh, five losses out of your first five games, not what you want. You don't want to go in the, the history books of your league as having the worst start out of the gate, but good or bad, inter Miami now sit with this for a while. They get another break because they're out of this tournament for a bit. And so you're going to see the ability of Diego Alonso. Now it's, it's not two games, one against LAFC in a cauldron in, in bank, California stadium. You, you have games on a neutral site against different levels of competition that you can now go and review and see what works. Do you, do you want to go back three? Do you want to get two backs and go back five? Do you want to change up entirely? What players are available now that windows are going to start opening uh, in Europe and elsewhere to get them into inter Miami uh, this year, if that's at all possible. I mean, a whole other factor here are the financial considerations that the club needs to be, you know, take under consideration because they're not getting season ticket revenue. They're not getting in-person, you know, revenue. They've had merchandise sales and, and, and revenue splits as what, so much as they exist in MLS. But I mean, you, you, you have to, this is a whole new world. This is a world we did not consider six months ago and the ability to get these players in, you know, might you be able to get a deal because a player wants to be able to get money? Yes. Might you now look and see, you don't have the, you know, the, the coins in the cookie jar, to pay for it, possible. We, we don't know how deep the bankroll is. And so that, that'll be a very interesting question over the next uh, few weeks. You do see Diego Alonso mentioning signings in his last post-game press conference. So that would seem to indicate he's either gone entirely rogue or there is a plan underway to, to make that happen. And, and that has always been something that Paul McDonough has spoken about, about getting that player in eventually. They they had he had mentioned first day of training camp they didn't look at a summer acquisition this year five losses may change that math may change his realities um, you know he wants to to shake things up so it's 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 going to be interesting to see where they go from here but it's definitely it's really a, on the macro the big picture it really stinks that this is the way this is opening up for Inter Miami in, in in everything not just these five games the, this this team is. It, we don't know if they're ever going to play in South Florida this season. That's not a guarantee at all. We, we, they, they have five losses. They, they, they haven't played a home game. They, 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 everything's un, unstable. You know, it, it's just you almost – you look at the teams coming in, like Charlotte, getting pushed back a year, and you almost look at them and it's like, wow, that's pretty good for them. They'll be able to have some time to regroup. Now, Miami had plenty of that time. To build and prepare, but coming into this season, you have you had expectations, and every single one, and and not all of them have been in Miami's fault by any stretch of the imagination. But every single expectation has been underwhelmed.
4: I yeah, I I can't agree with you more. I you almost wonder if you had the crystal ball in front of you, did you push you push back starting in the whole other year? You know what I mean? Not that obviously, I would be met with with. Uh, with great reviews, even, you know, even if nobody else knew at the time, but one person, Hey, like this is coming. Do you want to actually proceed with kicking off? Um, You're absolutely right. I think it's going to be more, yes, we, they need to make signings, but do they have the financial means to do so? It's a good thing that their ownership group is uh, they have some deep wells to dig into should they need to, you know what I mean?
1: I know what you mean. And there's also the ultimate carrot at the end of the tunnel of um, of Miami Freedom Park as well. And I think for the guy who's at the top of the tree at the moment, um, for Mr. Max, that's uh, that's going to that's gonna keep him interested as long as that is on the table. So, you know, it's not going anywhere. But it's interesting to see. It's good that they have this break now. There's no denying that. I mean, now these five losses have gone. It's history. Um, it's history that no one will want to think about, but it gives them time to sort of like reflect on what's gone wrong, assess it, analyze it, and uh, fix it.
4: Yeah.
0: I am very interested. I know this is a bit of a detour, but you mentioned Miami Freedom Park. Lee, I am very interested to see how the politics of Miami Freedom Park are going to shift in the next
4: few weeks or months. Not a chance.
0: I, I You no, see that not, now.
4: Not a chance. No, I, let me uh, shift away from it. No, shift in favor of it. No, I don't think not a fucking chance. No, not, not a chance. I think, I think now it would be, it passed by referendum, right? So like, let's say it was close to 60%. Yeah. I think now with the amount of hurt and financial uh, burdens that people are carrying, this gets put on the back burner an additional couple of years now down the road because I think you look at it as really, we're, this is what we're going to talk about. This is what we're going we're to waste public resource time for. To build a soccer stadium, really? This is what we're going to do? No, I don't. I don't think so. A because the problem is in this
0: project that's going to put hundreds of people to work and eventually lead to millions of dollars. Hundred, Who's hundreds of people when their budget has been whose hundreds blown of people?
4: Mass text people who are already employed and and well, likely are. That's what I'm saying. Though we're not talking about hiring brand new jobs or creating new jobs. This is going to be inside work more more likely than not. And then let's say okay we're talking about, we need an immediate fix. And now this is becoming magic city economics, right? But we need an immediate fix to the problem, not a, not a fix from it two, three years down the road. Whereas we're gonna break ground, let's say tomorrow. Okay, let's say in the best timeline, we're gonna get it up in 18 months. Then what businesses are gonna move in? We don't even know what the, what, what the next three months are gonna look like, let alone the next 18 months. Gonna look well like. now, but that's a question for
0: Jorge Mas, and that's a question for Miami. Do they want to continue to approach this that way with the idea that, well, remote offices may be more popular now, you can't sell the whole bank of, uh, of commercial real estate you anticipated? Not a Miami question. And you say, okay, if we, if we break ground now, uh, 18 months, th- th- that com- I'm talking about now, shoveling the ground, you know, dig a ditch, fill it in. John Maynard Keynes here. I'm talking about putting people to
1: work. I we're wish you could all see economics. Matthew Punch now on the webcam because he's making <laughs> hand gestures and everything.
0: Sorry, Matt. I, I, I'm, I'm saying that I, I think this has, it, it, I don't know. I have no insight. I don't, I don't know. But if I'm the city of Miami and I know what municipal budgets are going to look like close a fiscal year heading into to fiscal year 2021. Um, and I know that I have someone that's going to give me money. Who am I had to turn my nose up to money? I, I think that it, it's I mean, when you have when you have, uh, especially Miami, especially City of Miami, dealing with decreased restaurant revenues, decreased real estate revenues, everything on freeze, dec- cruise lines, the trouble that they've had. At what point are, are they going to have to question? At what point will you have a, a Manolo Reyes um, bending?
4: But are we talking about an immediate cash infusion of, let's say, I don't, and that's the weird part. Like I don't even remember the contractual terms anymore. Was it a hundred million dollars up front? No, I don't believe so. No, but you, you put people to work. You have people paying in uh,
0: tax revenue. You have, you, you, you get the money moving. You're making money right now out of the golf
4: course. The golf course is wide open. It's foot traffic. I'm going to step in as
1: moderator here. It was my fault for throwing the Miami Freedom Park hand grenade into the Magic City Soccer podcast. So on behalf of the listener, I think I should step in and stop it. It's a conversation for another day, but, you know, it's a fact that everything that you guys are saying is valid. But um, hey, now let's making save hand that gestures. for another day. Let's, uh, let's save that. I will not tell you what hand gestures they are. Um, I think we should save that for another day. No, 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 he would never do that. He's a lovely guy. Matt, bring it in for that.
0: So, uh, I want to thank Sebastian Velasquez and Nelson Vargas from the Miami FC for their insight. I wanted to thank the diplomatic moderator, Lee fans today. Very unusual place for Lee to be as not the strident outsider, but as the proper <laughs> organizer of conversation. So, as always, remember, you can find us at magiccity.soccer. You can find Omar Mubayad's previews and reviews for Inter-Miami there. Uh, always spicy. And uh, uh, some nice contributions from Lee fans and his gift work on the, uh, the most recent Inter-Miami match. Uh, a lot of good stuff at the website. Um, you can find us on Twitter at magic city soccer on Facebook, magic city soccer on Instagram, magic city sock. Um, uh, Omar. Soc can...
1: no S O C K.
0: Oh yeah. Not S O C K. It's not the, uh, the
1: white
4: Sox or the red Sox It's soccer. So it's S O C. Uh, Omar, where can folks find you? Find me at mobile at 11 on Twitter. Uh, and that's where you can, you know, obviously the more important thing, MagicCity.soccer on the website. And that's where you get all the goodies, man, including the new logo.
0: Yes. A uh, hat tip. Uh, excellent new design. Uh, Lee, if you want to tell folks uh, just a second about that and then tell folks where they can find you.
1: Yes. I mean, if you go on the social networks, you will see that we've done a little bit of um, a re- rebrand is the wrong word. but I think we've brought ourselves a little bit more up to date. You know, when we started this, it was very Miami focused and it's, it's grown in a lovely way to include the whole of South Florida and, and all the teams around here. You know, we we don't have really any bias. We we love all the teams. Uh, that, that we have um, in and around here and so go to Instagram which is where I hang out most of the time Magic yes. City Stock with a C not a K or an X on Instagram and send you know get involved send me a message if there's something cool happening if you know something drop me a tip on the uh, on the DMs slide into the DMs on the Instagram and that's where I'll be.
0: <laughs> Lee is the king of Instagram I, I think yeah, I'm I'm more the Twitter guy um, I'm at Matthew S. Punch on Twitter and if Things are getting posted on twitter usually it's me or you know it's a shared responsibility but i'm definitely you know sliding in my dms on twitter i guess i don't know um
4: so you're a father now
0: sir take that yeah you know oh is that how we're breaking the news <laughs> yeah <laughs> what? Part, no, I,
4: landing 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 yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> um so anyway um lee as always thank you very much uh for your excellent work and your contributions tonight omar thank you very much for your hard work and your contributions tonight um, I am Matthew Bunch. Thank you so much uh, for joining us on Magic City Soccer. Uh, and until next time, go, go Nelson Vargas, go Sebastian Velasquez, go Miami FC who throws three points against Atlanta, and go Miami Soccer.